This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 45 of the On The Banks Podcast, our week two Rutgers football preview episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On The Banks Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. And of course, you can find all of our podcasts and so much more content by going to onthebanks.com. I want to remind everyone that is listening that we are no longer on SoundCloud. Yes, you can still go on and listen to our first 44 episodes on the site, but this episode will be the first one that isn't on SoundCloud. We at On The Banks have joined the SB Nation podcast network and are very excited to be doing so. It has allowed us to not only post an initial podcast article, but if you go on any On The Banks page, if you read any article, no matter the sport or who it is about, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you can listen to any of our 45 episodes you would like, all the way from episode one till now, episode 45. You know, I'm very excited to bring you episode 45, as I will be joined by NJ.com's Keith Sargent and by Hawkeye Sports Columnist for the Des Moines Register and the Iowa City Press Citizen, Chad Lystico. So the Scarlet Knights, they started off 1-0, and it wasn't the prettiest of wins, obviously, especially the beginning six minutes or so. But a win counts the same, whether it's a 7-6 win, a 48-21 win in the case of Rutgers, or a 60-3 win. Next up now comes Iowa, and that is going to be quite the test for this Rutgers football team. This Hawkeye defense led by potential top 10 pick defensive end AJ Epinesa and this Hawkeye offense led by senior quarterback Nate Stanley, they're going to put up quite the fight in Iowa City at Kinnick Stadium. For Rutgers, I think their success will rely on a couple things. One is in the trenches, obviously. You know, can they compete on both sides of the ball uh, at the line of scrimmage? Iowa, like so many Big Ten teams, pride themselves on their offensive and defensive lines. Can Rutgers, can they contain the impact Iowa has on the game at those positions? Two, Rutgers needs to attack a young, inexperienced, and vulnerable Iowa secondary. The fact is, there's a lot of youth and not much depth back there for the Hawkeyes. If McLean Carter gets the time, he... Bo Melton, Raheem Blackshear, someone like Matt Alamo, Muhammad Jabby had a few good catches, and the other weapons, they need to look for the downfield play. We saw big plays against UMass, and although it's only been one game for both teams, Iowa, if you looked at their last game against Miami of Ohio, they gave up some big plays. This game can be a real statement one for Rutgers. You know, everyone's obviously happy about the win, of course, against UMass, but a very competitive showing would go a long way in silencing the crowd that's saying, oh, well, you're supposed to win. It was only UMass. This, for Rutgers, is another opportunity. And it's another chance, most importantly, to try and change the narrative that has haunted this program the last few seasons. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. To discuss Rutgers' 48-21 win over UMass and the upcoming game against Iowa, I am now pleased to be joined once again on the podcast by NJ.com's Keith Sargent. Sarge, how are you? Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Good. How you doing, Lance? 
So let's discuss the UMass game first, beginning with the offense. Obviously, a breakout game from Bo Melton, a dual rushing and receiving attack from Raheem Blackshear and Isaiah Pacheco, the ability to move the ball downfield through the air, which we haven't seen in a long time. Obviously, the turnovers are something Rutgers needs to work on. But taking away the first five minutes or so of the game, do you think Coach McNulty and Coach Ash could really have asked for anything more than what they got from that offense in game number one? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think you know, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, you know, and you, you never know, right? I mean, you watch training camp and, and, you, and, and you try to have an opinion of the team. But until you see it, I mean, there was a lot of guys who were, you know, quite frankly, unproven. I mean, Bo Mellon, you know, his struggles, you know, first two years have been well documented. Uh, Rutgers fans have, have been uh, long waiting for, for a breakout like that. Um, they got it. I think the one play that really stood out, you know, the touchdown obviously was a thing of beauty. You're catching that ball in traffic, you know, his helmet pops off. But the one play that kind of settled everything down, it might be, might have been his coming out party, was that fourth and two catch. Caught it in traffic, extended the drive. They end up scoring. Uh, that was a big momentum uh, gainer for, for, for Rutgers. Uh, they haven't had a qu- quarterback play, quite frankly, since maybe Gary Nova his senior year. The way McLean Carter was able to, to have pinpoint accuracy. I think he completed 67% of his passes, was completing uh, long passes down the field. That was something that John McNulty really wanted uh, to, to, to establish in the offense. It, it was lacking a year ago. They got some big plays. And, you know, you're, you're right. The first quarter, uh, there were some issues, they, you know, the, the interception. You know, but the, the, the thing about those interceptions, um, I, I think two out of three came on third down. Uh, you could stomach, you know, a third down interception because you're probably going to punt the ball anyway. Uh, the thing, you know, um, you know, thing that, you know, separated, you know, that performance, as, you know, as opposed to some of the other performances that we've seen in the past was, you know, he threw for 340 yards and he uh, threw, you know, for big plays. So, you know, when you're going to do that, when you're going to throw that, that many yards, interceptions are going to happen. Uh, you know, certainly you're going to want to cut it down uh, on it this week. But, you know, for the most part, that offense, you can't really ask for anything more. McLean Carter, of course, his first game as a Scarlet Knight. If you were to give his performance a letter grade, what would you give it and why? Probably a B plus because a I'm a hard grader <laughs> and and b I I just think those interceptions you know are, are tough to ignore you know you can't th- and we talked to John McGulty about it and Chris Ash and the way they're gonna uh, you know run this offense it's going to be an offense that's gonna have to take care of the ball the formula for Rutgers as we've seen you know two years ago when they won some Big Ten games is to play good defense sound defense and. To uh, you know, to win the turnover battle, win the uh, field position battle. Those are going to be the three ingredients that are going to win Rutgers games down the line. Uh, you know, the the interceptions, you know, are a no no. Uh, you, you know, you're he's going to have to cut down on them. So, um, but everything else was just you know beyond. I mean, 67 percent completion percentage, and the uh, you know the ability to actually uh, you know extend drives and, and make big plays. You know, those are things that you know stand out to me. So, Sarge, moving over to the defense, a slow start, but they rose up and rebounded, shutting out UMass uh, in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Who from that unit really impressed you and stood out to you from the effort? So, I'll give you two guys. Uh, Tyshawn Fogg, uh, you know, we wrote about him, you know, another really talented guy, kind of like Bo Mellon, had a lot of offers coming out of high school. Uh, another guy who... who um, you know, he was a guy who was stuck behind Deontay Roberts for the first couple of years. Hadn't really shown, uh, you know, that that type of breakout yet. 
uh, he broke out, broke out in a big way. He was the best uh, defensive player in the field, uh, really quarterback to defense and, and uh, you know, made plays. Uh, and the other guy is Damon Hayes. Damon Hayes, you know, you almost look at it and it was a quiet night for him. And, you know, that's a good thing. When you see a cornerback who, who, you know, you almost don't, don't see, you know, UMass thrown to his side. That's a credit to Damon Hayes and the, and the fact that they, they just knew he was blanketing uh, that, that, that side. Uh, he had a really good game. I went back to watch the, the, the tape and, you know, he looked like he was just blanketing the, uh, you know, his, his, his uh, you know, receiver. So, uh, you know, those are two guys um, that, that really stood out. Malik Dixon had, you know, had some moments, um, you know, at, at safety. Avery Young obviously had, you know, had, had some moments. Uh, uh, Dugan, you know, on, on the defensive line. Uh, but for the most part, it was Tyshawn Fogg, Damon Hayes. Those were two standouts. So, Sarge, what about the new guys, the guys who made their debuts, you know, the Drew Singletons, the, the Trey Averys? How do you think they kind of performed in what I thought was a pretty good atmosphere on Friday night? Yeah, a good start. Singleton in particular had some moments. Um, you know, Avery had the one pick that was a thing of beauty, really just an athletic play. Rutgers fans had uh, been been waiting for, for a moment like that. Um and and the other thing that, that I'll say about Trey Avery, you know, he's returning uh, kicks, and you know, two two of those plays were so close to to, to uh, breaking out. Uh, Chris Ash actually said during the press conference on Monday that he expects, you know, if he continues to play like that, he's going to break a couple t- for a couple touchdowns this season. So you look at the score going down twenty-one to seven at one point, and I think last season the game very well may have been over. But this team, it rebounded, it battled through the adversity, and obviously it overcame it in a big way. Who do you credit for that turnaround, and how much did the fact that Rutgers just has better depth this year play a role ultimately in their comeback? Um, I, I think first and foremost, you have to credit Chris Ash, uh, which is for the defensive adjustments, Andy Boo too, um, because you know once they were able to settle things down, they didn't allow a point in, you know, over the final three, three quarters. Uh, so you got to give uh, the credit to the guys who were, you know, for, who were calling the defense. Um, McLean Carter certainly, you know, a, you know, a couple, uh, a few of the players after the game talked about his leadership, how he was able to settle things down. The big thing was again that 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 those drives when Rutgers falls behind fourteen nothing, twenty one seven. You know, his ability to actually score points on those drives uh, was was huge. Um, and you know, John McNulty called it called a really good game. Uh, he put uh, McLean Carter in, in in the position to to make a lot of those plays, those big plays that that we saw. Um, you know, they were in the game plan a year ago. Um, it took you know McLean Carter to to, to kind of hit him, but you know, give uh, John uh, John McNulty uh, a lot of credit for pushing all the right buttons. Moving to this week's Iowa game, Sarge. You know, game two last year on the road in Columbus, it was looked at by many as sort of a litmus test for how far the Scarlet Knights had come. And look, we ultimately found out it wasn't very far. Now, obviously, it turns out it was foolish to look at Ohio State as the litmus test. Iowa this year, however, you know, it lost key pieces from last year, but is still, uh, you know, a contender in the Big Ten West. Do you think it's fair to consider this game somewhat of a litmus test kind of game where Rutgers can judge just how far they've gotten? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I think you, you nailed it with that, that, that point because Ohio State, um, they, they, the difference I, I would say about that is Ohio State, you know, they, they, they recruit at such a higher level. 
uh, than Iowa and really anyone else in the Big Ten. They're recruiting four or five star guys. Iowa, if you look at their recruiting classes, uh, they're middle of the pack in the Big Ten. I actually looked at it today. You know, a lot of their recruiting classes are seven, eight range. Uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz has a masterful job of retaining players, developing them, keeping them in the system. If you look at most of their, their players that are too deep, they're all two, three year letter winners. So, you know, that's a tribute to, to uh, his ability to develop. Um, but I was not gonna gonna put a scare into Rutgers athletically. Um, you know, certainly, you know, they're gonna have an advantage on both lines. You know, that's gonna be a, a game, a, you know, something to watch. I kind of think it's gonna be like Northwestern a year ago, where Northwestern, you know, had the advantage. You know, uh, you know, inside in the trenches, they wore them down. You know, ultimately, Rutgers lost eighteen fifteen, so you know, it looked competitive. Northwestern held on to the ball for the final six minutes of the game. They ended knee uh, uh, going down in, into knee down mode uh, at the five yard line to end the game. They probably could have scored another touchdown, and make it a little bit more uh, you know lopsided uh, scoreboard wise. But um, Rutgers was competitive in that game uh, a couple years ago when Rutgers played Iowa. You know, granted it was at you know in Piscataway. Rutgers only lost fourteen seven. I don't think that Iowa is going to to uh, have so much more talent from an athletic standpoint. It should be interesting to see how, how Rutgers handles uh, Iowa's strength, which is, you know, again, offensive line, defensive line. You know, I think what's so crucial to this week's game is the offensive line play for Rutgers. A.J. Epinesa, he's lurking at defensive end, and I'm sure we'll go right after Raekwon O'Neal early. How do you foresee Rutgers game planning against such an elite pass rusher to, you know, perhaps help out O'Neal if Epinesa lines up against him for a lot of the afternoon? So, yeah, I mean, I, I read the quotes from uh, Kirk Farron's, you know, after the Miami-Ohio game, and he said quite uh, point blank, he said that uh, Epinesa was double teamed the entire game. If you look at that line, it wasn't very impressive, but yeah, as you guys know, it, you know, it, it, sometimes stats are deceiving, especially when, you know, he's, he's being the target, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, it kind of helps in the rest of the defense because, you know, it, it allows uh, some mismatches. Now, I don't see Rutgers, uh, you know, just, you know, throwing away everything that kind of worked in, against UMass. Um, but that being said, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether or not they throw a tight end on, on, on them just to kind of chip them. Um, uh, Raquan O'Neal uh, had a really good game against UMass. He's still, you know, this is his first Big Ten start. Uh, can can he, uh, you know, uh, really? This is going to be. You, you mentioned litmus test. It's going to be a litmus test for Raquan O'Neal going up against, you know, a guy who could be a top ten NFL pick. Sarge, a couple more before I let you go. Looking at the mistakes in the UMass game and the things that need to be cleaned up for the Iowa game, what would you say are the three biggest areas of need? Uh, that Rutgers has to focus on and get better at before Saturday at Kinnick Stadium? Yeah, I would say control the tempo, um, you know, really just uh, be efficient in the offense. Um, You know, can they run the ball as effectively as they did in week one? Um, You know, uh, that's going to be the bread and butter all all year long. We kind of knew that going in. They ran for 206 yards. Uh, can, Can they be as effective running the ball? That's going to boil down to, you know, the offensive line. Can the offensive line get a push? Can they, uh, you know, offensive line was as flawless as any offensive line performance as I've seen in probably three or four years. They, uh, you know, really can, can, but now this is going to be a big, a bigger challenge. Uh, can, can they, you know, really prove it against a, a, one of the uh, uh, Big Ten's better defensive lines? And then again, I think McLean Carter, 
uh, had a coming out party just from a standpoint of, you know, throw, uh, making a lot of big plays. Can he do it on the road? You know, I mean, he, we, I asked him about it, you know, after practice on Tuesday and, you know, he, he said all the right things. I mean, talking about, you know, just, you know, the ability to focus and, 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 and uh, tighten uh, stuff up and just like block out the noise, literally, you know? So can he do that? Can he settle everything down? You know, the good thing is, you know, he's had some experience. He hasn't started uh, too many games overall, but you know, the games that he started have been on the road. You know, he played, you know, at, at Kansas State. You know, he played at, in a hostile environment against Baylor at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. He's done pretty well. Um, that's going to be the big thing to watch, whether or not, you know, Rutgers can, can, can deal with Kinnick Stadium, a packed Kinnick Stadium, 66,000, uh, loud. Uh, can they, you know, how do they handle that, those uh, conditions? Last one, you know, Rutgers, they put up 48 points. They shut out UMass from the second quarter on, and I think besides those first five minutes, they really just dominated the game in almost all facets. You know, obviously domination like that most likely won't happen again this season. But do you believe these Rutgers offensive and defensive units may be better than most fans expected and can kind of help propel the Scarlet Knights to maybe a few more wins than initially thought? Uh, can we can we do this interview at like four thirty <laughs> on Saturday? Um, it's going to be it's tough to say right now, to be honest with you, because uh, you know UMass it's just not that level of opponent, and uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, the, you know, it's going to be big, a lot of Big Ten opponents the rest of the way, nine of them, um, and this is one of the bigger uh, uh, one of the better Big Ten uh, opponents, a team that's picked by a lot of people to win the the Big Ten West this season. So uh, to answer your question, I, I picked him to win five games this season. So, you know, I kind of thought the way the schedule bro- broke down, um, you know, just the, the, the number of players who, who, who are back having John McNulty back a second year, if they can get better quarterback play, you know, I think, you know, the quarterback play was so uh, bad a year ago, gave them no chance to win games. If they can settle that down, I know, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done, but you know, we saw in week one, that was the thing that kind of stood out to me. You know, they had really good quarterback play. Play. Um, if that can, can continue, then I see no reason why Rutgers can't be competitive and, and win some games. But again, this is just going to be the test that, that you know, if you talk to me at 430 on, on Saturday, I'll have a better feel for it. <laughs> Keith Sargent of NJ.com. Sarge, as always, thanks so much for coming on and giving me some of your time again on the podcast. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. To break down Rutgers' next opponent, the Iowa Hawkeyes, I am now pleased to be joined by Hawkeye sports columnist for the Des Moines Register and the Iowa City Press Citizen, Chad Lystico. Chad, thanks so much for giving me some of your time and, of course, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, and you got the pronunciation uh, right on on your first try, so well done. You're already ahead of the game here. <laughs> so, Chad, let's start with the Hawkeyes. Beginning the season 1-0 and with a win over Miami of Ohio, 38-14, you know, I think what originally caught a lot of people by surprise was at the beginning of the game, the slow start by the Hawkeyes, only up 10-7 to 7 at the half. They obviously ended up, you know, pulling away and winning comfortably. Was that slow start in the first half just because it was a new year, they had to get the rust off, or did Miami of Ohio do something that maybe Iowa wasn't ready for, maybe something that kind of caught them off guard? Yeah, I think uh, a couple things there. It actually probably could have and should have been 10-10. to 10. Uh, Miami kind of squandered uh, an opportunity late in the first half with a couple of silly penalties. So, uh, you know, it, certainly there was a little tense inside Kinnick Stadium. Um, I, I would uh, chalk it up to a couple things. Number one, Iowa uh, missed on a fourth down 
call early, uh, early in the game uh, when it when it passed up possible points, and uh, the the tight end on that play was was blatantly held, and they didn't call anything. Um, Miami kind of so they kind of kept it at zero zero for a while, and then secondly, Iowa um, had a little bit of issue in the secondary. Uh, they've got a real young secondary this year. Um, lost a couple of experienced guys in the back end, including Big Ten defensive back of the year, Amani Hooker to the NFL. Uh, Jake Gervas back there is gone. He's on the Rams, Hooker's on the Titans. So they're they're kind of breaking in a lot of new pieces, and they had some communication stuff that really kept that game close in the first half. So looking at this Iowa team, specifically the offense, we know they lost two first-round tight ends, Noah Font and TJ Hawkinson. They also lost receiver Nick Easley, so numbers 1, 2, and 3 are gone in terms of receiving yards from last year. How have Kirk Ferentz and offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz replacing those guys, or how have they looked to replace those three guys so that Nate Stanley has the weapons that he needs? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, that clearly those are the, the only real three guys they went to uh, most of last year. Uh, yet at the same time, Iowa actually feels uh, better about its wide receiver group than it has in a really, really long time. And I've been following this team for about four decades. And um, this receiver group is, uh, you know, something that, that's building really, really well. Um, obviously, uh, they're not going to have a first-round NFL tight end on this team. Uh, they don't have a senior wide receiver on this team, uh, but they do have a lot of kind of young guys with some excitement. Um, I'll list a couple of them. Brandon Smith, a true junior out of Mississippi, is kind of their big red zone target. He's that X receiver. Uh, he probably has the most experience of the group, uh, and he, he caught Iowa's first touchdown pass of the season. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset, he's the burner. Um, had a little bit of a shoulder issue in the first game, so he um, will monitor his progress, but he did come back and catch Iowa's last touchdown pass. Uh, two redshirt freshmen that are real excited about, uh, Nico Regani and Tyron Tracy Jr. Um, we'll see what they each had one catch each, so you know didn't explode in the first game, but they're really high in both of them. And then the big name, I think, to watch as the season progresses is Oliver Martin. Uh, he played at Michigan last year and was ruled eligible uh, last Wednesday, three days before the game came in and caught a touchdown pass uh, on Saturday night. So I think he's going to be a, uh, a dynamic contributor at some point in his career for the Hawkeyes, maybe sooner rather than later. So speaking of Stanley, obviously his experience has shown great ability and I think has gotten better every year that he's obviously been the starter. What impresses you most about him and just his overall progression from 2017 when he became the starter up until now? Yeah, it, Nate's a funny guy. Um, uh, not really, but his story's interesting. Uh, he's pretty bland otherwise, but um, uh, he, uh, you know, he doesn't. Uh, he gets like nine hours of sleep every night. He's real straight laced. So yeah, I didn't mean funny in, in that way, but um, but he is. Uh, he's been kind of a mercurial guy in the fan base for some reason. I don't really know why. Uh, he's a he's just produced, um, you know, as a quarterback from his second game as the starter uh, at Iowa State. He pulled them out from a late deficit threw five touchdown passes uh, in an overtime win at Iowa State. And um, really, he's had, uh, I guess, just what you would say, some big game collapses, uh, and that's probably what sticks in fans' mind. But you look at it this week, he finished uh, 21 of 30 for 252 yards, three touchdowns. He's now got 55 in his career. Uh, He's high on NFL draft boards. 
uh, only 16 career interceptions. Just a real solid, solid decision-maker. Big-armed guy, uh, not super fleet of foot. I mean, a, a close comparison might be like a Ben Roethlisberger type uh, where he's just a big guy in the pocket um, with a really good arm and makes really good decisions. Uh, he had a great first game, uh, probably one of the better ones he's had as a Hawkeye. So he's definitely at the, at the high point of his career to date, uh, even if Iowa fans don't necessarily appreciate him. Um, uh, just, a, just a pocket of fans, you know, not like not the whole fan base, but it's just kind of interesting to see. Well, he missed it. You know, they complain about, well, he missed another throw like on a deep ball or whatever, but it's like, you know, it's like quarterbacks uh, everywhere have never missed throws, you know? So, um, you know, it happens. I don't know why people get so bent out of shape about it, but uh, Stanley is definitely uh, one of the reasons uh, that Iowa could have a good year. You know, on that offensive line protecting him, Alaric Jackson is a big loss, you know, a potential first round pick, one of the leaders of the offensive line. Obviously he's not a guy who can just be replaced without a drop off. But who is Iowa looking at to step up and fill that spot at left tackle until he returns? Yeah, you mentioned Alaric Jackson. I mean, he uh, uh, went down with a knee injury. He's definitely going to be out this week against Rutgers. Uh, probably going to miss the next week against Iowa State as well. And that's a really big game as well for the Hawkeyes. So, uh, I mean, the good news for Iowa is they have a uh, top 10 NFL draft pick at right tackle um, in Tristan Wirth. So they're going to flip him to left tackle. Uh, more than likely on Saturday uh, against the Scarlet Knights and then kind of plug a hole on the right tackle side right now. Uh, probably with a fifth-year senior in Levi Paulson, we'll see on game day. But uh, he kind of got the majority of the reps over there um, against Miami. And he's got experience over there too. Uh, Werfs and Paulson actually started uh, a game at the 2017 Pinstripe Bowl together when Alaric Jackson was suspended for one game. So uh those those two have experience uh the offensive line has a lot of depth so it shouldn't be a major issue i I don't think in the short term but obviously uh for the hawkeye's sake if jackson can get back this season um that would be a big help Uh, but they should be okay um overall this week so turning to the defense like the offense it lost a lot of production The top four tacklers on last year's defense all are gone, and we know now about guys like uh, Jimon Colbert and, of course, A.J. Epinesa. Uh, They return to obviously lead that defense. But besides them, who is Iowa leaning on to step up, emerge, and replace the numbers from a year ago? Yeah, the first week um, was kind of a mixed bag defensively, but when you looked at the final stat sheet, I mean, Miami only gained 245 yards only gained 11 first downs. And that quarterback, even though he was a true freshman, Brett Gabbert, uh, Blaine's younger brother, uh, he made some tough throws in a really tight windows. So it really could have been a much more uh, dominant day for Iowa's defense. Uh, but as far as names go, I mean, a, a guy that uh, should be able to flash at some point this season is Chauncey Golston. He's on the opposite side of A.J. Epinesa who was basically double and triple teamed uh, in his opener. Uh, you know, he's the reigning Big Ten Conference sack champion, uh, but only had one tackle the other day. That's just because he had so much attention. So other guys have to step up for the Hawkeyes. So that's kind of what we're waiting to see. Uh, does Iowa have those pieces? Um, certainly, you know, Rutgers put up a lot of points in its week one opener. So uh, I'm sure the Hawkeyes are going to, 
Yeah, have to have to be buttoned up back there and not make mistakes because um, they're still pretty young in the back end. I guess the one guy to look at in the secondary would be Michael O.J. Mudia. He did have a pick in Iowa's first game. He was voted a captain. He's a fifth-year senior. Really, really looked good out of that group in the secondary. So I think he's probably a name uh, that you probably don't know right now, but um, if he progresses, you know, could be that, uh, you know, next all big 10 defensive back like we've seen iowa kind of just come up with i don't know where the last few years like josh jackson and amani hooker so aj epinesa is looked at as a potential top 10 pick in next year's nfl draft you know 10 and a half sacks a year ago he's such a force on the defensive line what makes him so unblockable what does he do that makes him such a dynamic and just an overpowering pass rusher yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to describe it, man. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I watched uh, Khalil Mack a lot. And uh, while he's he's uh, not exactly the same position uh, because Mack's more of an outside linebacker at the NFL level, it's it's almost that kind of dominance where he can he can just put his left arm up into an offensive lineman that might weigh 320 pounds and just shove him backwards and still have his right arm free to, you know, kind of pester the quarterback. So it's it's pretty fascinating to watch. Iowa does not get athletes like that very often. Uh, and he's only a true junior, so he's, uh, you know, hasn't had a lot of time to develop uh, by Iowa's developmental standards. But uh, he's, he's a guy that uh, Iowa fans uh, just love and just – they just don't get very often, so they're enjoying cheering for him. They know this is probably going to be the last year they get to cheer for him. Uh, but he's basically 6'6", 280 with a lot of power and speed and uh, just a knack for the ball, too. You'll see him. Um, he's got really interesting and uh, unusual ball skills Like if, as far as like rushing the passer. If, he'll, if he can't get to the guy, he almost finds a way to get his hand on the ball somehow, and that's how he – he led the team last year in forced fumbles with four, and he had a huge uh, strip sack last year against Mississippi State uh, in the bowl game that kind of led to Iowa's win. So number 94 for the Hawkeyes, that's a guy um, you've got to have under control or else he'll beat you. The rest of the team, you know, they still need to find some guys, but he's definitely the star. Chad, a couple more before I let you go. Obviously, this Iowa team, it's not perfect. No team is. Uh, they all have weaknesses at one spot or another. Where is this team most susceptible to being attacked? You know, what would you say is the biggest weakness early in the year that this Hawkeye team has to worry about? Yeah, safety play, I would say, is probably number one uh, because Iowa uh, lost a really good free safety to the NFL, and, the, and uh, they, they're really unsettled back at that position, and they don't have much depth. So um, in Miami of Ohio, that was the one area where Iowa really looked shaky. Uh, so that's, that continues to be a concern. Um, over the top almost of the Iowa defense. Um, so really the other the other areas, um, you know, looked good in week one. Running game was really bad the last two years for Iowa, which is uncharacteristic. But uh, it looks much improved um, based on the opener. Um, but, yeah, I would say, if, uh, you know, attack Iowa uh, toward the safeties, and I'm sure they're going to see that on film too uh, this week um, as they approach their game plan. So, Chad, last one. Obviously, one of the biggest games of the year for the Hawkeyes is next Saturday, the Iowa Corn Cyhawk Series as they travel to Ames, Iowa, to take on a very good, a ranked Iowa State Cyclones team. Now, obviously, Kirk Ferentz has been in situations like this before, and, of course, Rutgers still is a Big Ten opponent. 
But could you foresee this Iowa team not necessarily overlooking Rutgers, but at least looking ahead a little bit to the Iowa State game and having this one be somewhat of a trap game? That's a really good observation, really good, uh, because the Iowa State game you know, might be one of the biggest uh, it's ever been. Uh, Iowa State you know, entered uh, the season, ranked in the polls, um, had a little bit of a scare in that first week against Northern Iowa, but uh, it's very possible that uh, both the Hawkeyes and Cyclones will be ranked against each other for the very first time in their long history. So, yeah, I mean, certainly the state of Iowa is looking ahead to that game. Um, Kirk Ferentz typically is pretty good about keeping his guys uh, in that one game of a time mold, uh, at a time mold. But, uh, you know, he's uh, these guys are human and they they might be just peeking ahead a, a little bit. Tons of Iowa-born guys on the roster. In fact, I think the the, uh, the Iowa offensive line you'll see on Saturday will be all five Iowans. So, I mean, that kind of gives you a flavor of what this roster is made up of. So um, that's a good question. And I think uh, especially after a night game with a lot of electricity in the opener for the Hawkeyes, you know, coming back to play for an 11 a.m. Saturday game, you know, against a team that doesn't have a great recent re- reputation. Um, yeah, I could see I could see a flat performance from Iowa, uh, one where it's, it could be a tight game toward the end. Hawkeye sports columnist for the Des Moines Register and the Iowa City Press Citizen, Chad Lystego. Chad, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and giving us a look at this year's Iowa Hawkeyes football team. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I want to thank Chad and Keith for coming on episode 45 to break down both the Scarlet Knights and the Iowa Hawkeyes. It's no secret Iowa is a very talented team, but as I discussed with Chad, this game has the making, I think, of a potential trap game. You know, Iowa could very well overlook this Rutgers team, instead deciding to focus on Iowa State the next week. And if that's the case, frankly, Rutgers has every opportunity to take advantage. You know, for the Scarlet Knights, the offense, it needs to continue to progress, and the slow start just simply cannot happen. Beating UMass was great, but obviously Iowa is a huge step up in terms of competition. If Rutgers wants to change the perception of the program, games like these are of the utmost importance. You put up a well-rounded, competitive performance at Iowa, and you let the chips fall where they may. Obviously, Rutgers won't be favored, but if they execute, you know, who knows, anything can happen. This coming week, as I said at the beginning, is another opportunity. It's another opportunity to prove people wrong. It's an opportunity to grasp the recognition of fans who might be on the fence. You know, Rutgers will be an underdog, but so what? You know, Rutgers is going to be an underdog in most games this year. It's weekends like these, though, that can really help catapult seasons. If Rutgers puts up a good showing, the narrative of this 29 season going forward can certainly change here on the Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.